2: Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Cassandra Farrington, who is co-founder of Marijuana Business Daily. She's also the CEO. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about MJ BizCon, which is the big marijuana business event, which was in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now. We're going to learn a little bit about that. And we're going to learn a little bit about the history of uh, the marijuana industry and how MJ Biz Daily has been a key part of that, and we're going to hear about the story there. So, uh, with that, Cassandra, welcome to the program.
3: Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here.
2: Yeah. So, I always like to start with just kind of hearing the story of how you got started in this space, what got you interested in it, and then let's talk a little bit about the history of MJ Biz Daily and uh, the conference. And I know there's some fascinating stories uh, and stuff around that, but. But let's learn a little bit about you and how you got into this.
3: Yeah, so my both myself and my business partner, we are traditional business-to-business media professionals. That is where we grew up in our careers and where we were looking when we entered the cannabis space. Back then in 2010, when we started investigating this industry, we already had a a media company up and running that was completely focused on business-to-business information for professionals in really niche markets. And we had a a list of criteria. If we're going to launch into a new market, it has to be of a certain size and have so many actual companies, not just solo entrepreneurs. Um, It has to be growing at a certain rate, things like that. And living here in Colorado, looking around and seeing all these dispensaries pop up, we thought, well, that's a really interesting angle to take on this, that there are all of these people who are very well-versed in this industry, but not necessarily in how to run a business and the type of business information that can really help an industry thrive. And we thought, well, we don't know this industry at all. Mm -hmm. Neither one of us had a background in cannabis, but we definitely had this other background in this information side of it. And so we brought those skills into this industry and everything's kind of grown up since then.
2: And what industries were you in at the time? Like you were, you're basically sort of a publishing content platform. What industries were you focused on before you got into cannabis?
3: Yeah, so we had a a subscription, how to run a subscription website better. Uh, Whether that be a fan club, whether it be a paywall for a publication, much like us, you know, we were kind of looking at, teaching ourselves how to do our own jobs better, but also sharing that information with others who, you know, had similar needs. So that was one of them. Um, The other one that we had up and running at the time was called Which Test One, all about A, B, marketing, testing, and how to improve your conversion rate on your marketing piece or your, your website or your cart or whatever that is. So those were the two we had up and running, and we definitely had grander designs to turn this into a, you know, several publication Family yep. of things because that's where we had come from. You, know, she and I both come from. You know, a newsletter publisher back in Washington D.C. was where we had both um, really cut our teeth, and you know, they had you know, a family of a hundred of these things that all used the same back office. Printing and and media type, you know, support services, HR, customer service, all of those back office services were shared yeah. across all of these publications. And, you know, when you have, you know, a subscription website or a subscription newsletter that you may be charged, you may only have a thousand subscribers, but each one of those is paying a thousand dollars a year for it. Yeah. you got a nice little microcosm of a business model you multiply that across a hundred, share the back office expenses, and you've got a great business model. Yeah. So that's what we were looking to replicate.
2: Yeah, and, and I love this. Uh, I've just I've seen this come up so many times in the cannabis space where people have You know, experience and expertise running a particular business model outside of the cannabis space, you know, in other markets and other industries, and then kind of pivoting and applying it to this burgeoning cannabis space that that has so many kind of open spaces and needs. You know, it's it's a great way to kind of enter it is take what you know how to do and know how to do really really well and apply it to the cannabis market. So you mentioned when you got involved in the cannabis market, you really had no. I guess what was your particular kind of knowledge or experience with cannabis? Give me a sense of of what your state was. When you
3: got involved, really none, none yeah. whatsoever. You know, we we recognized that this was a that medical marijuana had been um, approved yeah. in I think at that point ten to twelve states. I can't remember exactly how many we had at that point, and that there was going to continue to be a real industry, a real market around this this plant. So we didn't actually, you know, we just truly saw it as this industry needing this this type of business information that it didn't have. And so we moved into it from, you know, filling that gap on the business side.
2: Yeah, that's great. And we'll talk a little bit about the conference and, you know, where the conference is at, and it's quite incredible where the conference is at at this day and age or, or where we're at recently, but sort of connect the dots for a little bit for us. What was your first step into the market? So you, you had this experience in terms of doing the newsletters and monetizing mm-hmm. the newsletters. What was your first move in terms of, getting getting into the cannabis market what did that look like
3: we hired a full-time business reporter to go out and figure it out. Yeah. Um, and that person is Chris Walsh. He's been with us since, honestly, the, the day we opened the doors on MJBiz yeah. and has really guided the content side of this, of what we do here, both not just on the, the website, the MJBiz Daily, but also through the conference content and some the special reports that we do and the, yep. you know, the the annual research route that we do. He has been the guide behind all of that content side. You know, he had studied several industries through his journalism career, airlines and some other things. Things as well, And so just knew what it was like to cover an industry. And again, you know, so we went out and recruited him to come join us and, and help us get this thing off the ground.
2: That's great. And at that time, so this was 2010. I think if you, if I remember what you mentioned, what was the state of the industry at that point? Like how much were you covering? How, like, what was your sort of subscriber or audience base? What did that look like?
3: So we started. Ann and I, my business partner and I, started you know noodling on this idea in 2010. We actually got it launched. Got Chris hired. All that sort of thing it was May 2011, okay. and yeah, you know, he just went out, started networking, started finding sources, started you know passing his business card around, and we you know started putting out some initial you know information. And just like you would in any other thing that you start, you know, you kind of put up a website and you start pushing that information out to people who might be interested in it and, you know, finding other groups that are potentially doing similar things, but not competitive. So finding partnerships to start spreading the word about yep. what you're doing and what they're doing and being mutually beneficial there and, you know, just being good neighbors and in, in the community. Yeah. And meanwhile, you know, Chris was out knocking on a lot of doors and getting a lot of them shut in his face, honestly, because, (laughs) you know, strangely enough, you know, right when we started this in 2011, shortly thereafter was when the landlord letters started hitting in California and Colorado started working toward implementing its regulations on its medical marijuana market for the first time and creating that initial seed to sale model that forced a lot of shotgun marriages between, you know, a dispensary over here and a cultivator over here who suddenly had to have a seed to sale program through their entire business model. And a lot of those didn't work out, to be honest. And so yeah. there was a lot of transition going on in the marketplace at that time. So people really didn't have the time to either the time or the inclination to either share their own business stories. And honestly, a lot of them wanted to just keep their heads down. They were interested in the information, but they were not necessarily willing to speak up and be a source and become findable. Um, You know, so those were some of the challenges we worked through in the early days. So, you know, we had a slow growth at the start. I remember when we got to a thousand and, you know, it took us two to three years. I want to say it was... In two thousand so we launched this in May two thousand and eleven and I wanna say it was the fall of two thousand thirteen when we finally hit about five thousand subscribers. Yeah. But you know, it's just kind of skyrocketed yeah. since then.
2: It's funny, yeah. I always find that these overnight successes always take a while. A
3: exactly.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah, really couple of now. years of, of hard <laughs> slogging, you know, getting, you know, clawing and scraping, you know, each individual subscriber, each individual customer, and then and then all of a sudden things take off.
3: Absolutely.
2: So let's talk a little bit about the business model and how it's kind of evolved over time. So how did you monetize in the beginning and then how has that changed or how has it pivoted over over the years?
3: Yeah. So early on, we were funding the publication through proceeds from our other business lines. Okay. You know, so we we self funded it, and you know, but from those other activities that we were already doing, yep. our first actual money making activities for MJ Biz, we did a series of reports: one on the Colorado regulations and markets, one on you know if you're interested in investing in the space. It was a very early stage, you know, book about that, and you know, again, like a fifty page special report, sold for about fifty bucks. So you know, it was very much dribs and drabs at that point. Yep. And then we launched the trying to think which one came first, in the fall of 2012. So again, as I mentioned, 2011, we launched, things started trending down. And we were starting to think, okay, what else are we going to put Chris to work on for a little while? And like, he was actually down to about half time, uh, spending half his time on this publication and spending half his time looking at other launch ideas. And then in the spring of 2012, for whatever reason, things really started to feel like we started getting more news flow and getting more traction on the subscriber base. So, you know, we kind of said, let's see. And one of the things that we had heard from our subscribers or not from our subscribers necessarily, but from our, um, our sources and just from the people we were out there in the marketplace talking to was we need a place where we can get together and talk business. Like we know, and, and meet each other. We like the people here in Denver knew each other and the people at San Francisco knew each other and the people out in Portland, Maine knew each other, but people in Portland, Maine had never had an opportunity to really get to know the people in San Francisco and share business information and figure out if there were partnerships to be done and things like that. The only events at that time were things like KushCon and the High Times Cannabis Cup. And so these very consumer side festivals, which are great for what they are, yep. but are not a place where you can bring a business partner or a prospective business partner and say, hey, look at this industry. Is this going to be great? Yeah. You know, it's just not, yeah. a, not a, a good way to showcase at that time what the potential of the cannabis industry was. Yeah. So we, we decided to you know kind of put a lot on the line and, and host a executive meeting was kind of how we were thinking of it and think of it much more as a conference, not as a full trade show. So we found a space here in Denver. We scheduled it for the week after the legalization vote uh, here in Colorado and Washington for that same week, actually the end of that week. Um, And I honestly, I think that that just the conversations around that upcoming vote were part of what got things moving in a better direction. So we had that conference and it was a smashing success, of course. The fact that those two ballot initiatives had passed, the (laughs) recognition of Colorado and Washington certainly fed into that. Um, But we exceeded our expectations with what we were looking to bring in in terms of attendees, and it was exactly that type of environment that people had been looking for. That's right. So it turned out better than than we could have possibly imagined. And so, you know, we were kind of off to the races from there. We launched the fact book shortly thereafter, just writing this premium report about this is the state of the cannabis industry. Um, and these are the benchmarks that you should be looking at if you're a dispensary or if you're a cultivator or, you know, these are kind of the nationwide trends and where you should be aspiring to get your costs and your your and a lot of information for startup companies, things like that. Yeah. And then this is, uh, we're now into about mid-2013 and the coal memo
1: hit.
3: And we already had our second conference planned. That was planned for outside Seattle in again in November, that same week in November. And, um, you know, within two weeks of the coal memo hitting we had sold that conference out two months in advance. Yeah. So, and just all the way at fire marshal capacity. So, how
2: big was the first one? And then, how big was the second one? What was the, the growth?
3: So, our first one clocked in at 402 astounding. It was amazing at the time. You mm-hmm. 402 uh, cannabis professionals gathering together in Denver. Yeah. Um, and then the second one we had uh, prospected to be, you know, how how big is this going to grow? Yeah. It's not going to go more than fifty percent. So we actually had a space that we could accommodate about seven hundred people, yeah. and like I said, sold it out. And I'm sure we could have ended up over a thousand if we had had the, the marshal yeah. capacity. So you know, as a as an early stage entrepreneur, it's always tough to turn away paying people <laughs> like really pounding down your door saying, "Please let me give you money," but oh. you know. Kind of is what it, it was. What it was.
2: A good position to be in. It good problem. Very
3: good position. Yeah. A good problem to have, and uh, it certainly created a. I think it started helping create an ethos or something about the event yeah. where it became, you know, very sought after and, yeah. and something that you had to be at, right? Because it yeah. was it was the it was the place. So continuing down that front, you know, the following year, in that time period in 2013, Nevada authorized dispensaries. And at, we kind of had a sense at that point that this was going to become much bigger—not just a conference, but really much more of a trade show. That there was a demand for that, and there Got was the possibility for us to really take advantage of that opportunity. Um, and there's no better place for a trade show than Las Vegas.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um,
3: <laughs> and so once we once we uh, had you know something of some green territory, some some blue sky territory in Nevada, because they were authorizing dispensaries and, you know, it was an area that the industry could support. And that's something that we have really tried to stay focused on is that wherever we yep. host our events, it's somewhere that the industry feels like they can, you know, kind of get behind and support. We made plans to move it to Las Vegas, had to upsize the venue after the end of that second conference yep. in Seattle, where we had sold it out. We realized that we didn't have nearly enough space. So that's when we moved to, moved it to the Rio. And that was another kind of bet the bank moments because moving a, or hosting an event in a traditional conference venue comes with very high price tax yeah. on the organizer side.
2: Give us a sense. Like what was the upfront kind of investment do you had to make to really?
3: We were, we were committing yeah. to minimums over a million dollars between food and beverage minimums and yeah. rental space and room guarantees that we had to give to the venue that we would fill so many rooms, things like that. We were, we were making a, a seven figure bet. That's a big nut. Um, yeah. That was a big nut for yeah. a small business at the time. So it was one of those like, are we going to do this or are we not? And you know, let's yeah. go be bold and yeah so, yeah.
2: That's great. And so you're in you're in Vegas at that point, and things things grew. I went to this last one in Vegas. I guess it's been a couple of months now, but it was pretty spectacular. What were the actual numbers in, in 2018 for the conference? In, in
3: 2018, we had 27,600 uh, <laughs> delegates at the event and over a thousand exhibiting companies that yeah. just absolutely filled that central hall of the Las Vegas Convention Center. And the growth trajectory has been insane and amazing. Yeah. It's like, like, As we were talking about, there were 400 the first year, then 700. When we first moved to Las Vegas, there was 3,300 people that first year. So we went from 700 to 3,315, and then to 55, and then to almost 11, and 18 the following year. And that last, not the one just passed, but the one before was our first time in the convention center. And that was just another whole sea change, I think, for the industry to kind of see and understand what a convention center event looks and feels like. Yeah. And it just, it just takes it to a whole nother level. And um, yeah. and so now people are not just bringing their business partners, but they're bringing you know, people who have access to tens of millions of dollars of investment oh, yeah. funds. The investors,
2: and, bankers, all sorts of people.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. And when those kind of people walk into the convention center and they're looking at that huge show floor and they're seeing all those people, they can say – Oh, yeah. I can write you a check for ten million dollars, and do you have room in your raise for another five because I'd love to give it to you? Yeah, so we've gone from I can't like I can't even get my head around like you you're showing me this high Times cannabis Cup event and saying you want a million dollars to, oh here, please can I do more, <laughs> more. <money for> you?
2: <laughs> take, take my money, please,
3: right.
2: yeah, so uh, you know, phenomenal growth. I'm sure there's been some challenges in that. Tell us some of the challenges you faced or, or dilemmas that you were in as you went through that growth process. Where where was it hard? Where were the big parts?
3: So I'd say across the board, and I know that I'm not alone as a cannabis entrepreneur in this. The absolutely the hardest thing has been keeping up with the pace of growth. Yeah, it's the the changes it, it, you you're having to rewrite your business plan. It feels like you know. Several times a year, yeah. just to keep up with what is new and what's happening, and, and making sure that you're taking the best advantage of the best opportunities because there are so many of them out there. You know, filtering through everything that's going on to get to a place where you can really focus in on the things that you're going to be really great at. Yeah.
1: That
3: is incredibly difficult. We did talk about how right after we launched, you know, kind of the industry went south and we were trying to figure out how to kind of keep the lights on for a while. That was an interesting time. And another thing from from the early days, touching back on how, you know, Ann and I didn't have a background in the plant itself. When we first started, we were getting a lot of Pressure from some of the advocacy side, some of the social entrepreneurs who had really brought the industry along to where it had come to that point um, to saying, hey, you know, in your publication in MJ Biz Daily, you need to be saying why the Colorado Amendment needs to pass for recreational legalization, why the the, uh, Washington State Amendment needs to pass. And we kept saying, no, that's not, we're not here as advocates. That's not what we're doing. The best way we can help this industry grow is by giving it this foundation of really sound, fundamental business intelligence that both you as advocates, as well as entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs and people from all stripes can start to understand that this is a real industry. That is what's going to give it the foundation that will help it bring in the people and the the critical mass that will get all those other things done. We are behind that cause, but we're just taking it from a different angle. But if we had, we did have to resist that pressure to become more advocacy oriented, which would have been counter to really our journalistic mission.
2: Yeah,
0: and
3: would have undermined, you know, our ability to speak authoritatively to the industry as it continued to grow.
2: And I think that's really important. I mean, they got a lot of companies. I mean, not just cannabis companies, any company, but any company on a high growth situation. It's you know, everything looks shiny. Like you want to, find, you you see all these opportunities and angles and and ways that you could you could kind of monetize things. And I think you know being, uh, you know, being clear, staying clear on what your core purpose is, what your kind of value proposition is, what your role in the market is going to be, and, and sticking to that, you know, even if there is, you know, very appealing, very sexy opportunities to go off and do something else, you know, if it's not going to be on purpose, if it's not going to be on target for for the model and, and the role you want to play, it, it's going to hurt you a long time. And I think I think your success has, has you know shown that, is that by, by sticking to that, you've been able to kind of play that role in the market very, very well let's talk about where you think this market and kind of industry is going. I mean, the, the, Show in Vegas was pretty spectacular. I mean, do you see this just continuing to grow? Is there? Do you think this is going to kind of fragment out into different types of conferences? Are you looking at? I'm curious about kind of locations and timeframes. Like where, mm-hmm. where do you see this? This kind of organizing, organizing and structuring this industry a little bit from uh, you know trade show content community point of view. What are your thoughts on where this is going?
3: Yeah, that's an interesting question. There's no question that there will continue to be a big annual Annual gathering of the cannabis industry, and um, that is going to remain MJ BizCon. That's absolutely where we are focused on making sure that that remains as um, compelling and useful and as it has been to the industry to date. We are also looking at ways to make sure that BizCon remains a accessible, and it, because it is getting very large, and people who have niche interests can start to feel lost in a show that is getting as big as it is. So we are working very actively on creating more uh, opportunities for people to connect one-to-one with like-minded people and create specialty uh, content tracks and, and other things like that. We now have three MJ BizCon shows. So there's the big one in Las Vegas, which is that seminal annual gathering point for the entire cannabis industry. Yep. In New Orleans in June, we host MJ BizCon Next, which is really all about the future of the industry and the future of your business in the industry. So it's it's more of a thought leader type Mm -hmm. event with a lot of actionable intelligence about how to take advantage of where this industry is going and make sure that you are future-proofing your business as this industry continues to grow as quickly as it is. Um, So that's happening. And then we are also actively working on the international front as the international cannabis space just continues to mushroom. We have an event in Toronto that is specifically called MJ BizCon International. It's all about that international picture. We're also hosting a a conference symposium in Denmark this year, in May, for just a one-day event for European cannabis professionals to gather and you know learn about everything to do from you know everything that's going on over there and then on our the other side of things we're all we've already launched and have up and running an entire hemp business media information and um, things like that so you know so we are continuing to provide as much as we can and as the industry grows even within our editorial department you know we have focused down on specific beats so we have you know editors and, and reporters really focused on the cultivation side on the extraction and science side and and all these other specific areas of the industry so that we can you know remain relevant to everybody and we continue to partner with all kinds of industry organizations as well to make sure that both we keep our pulse on what the audience needs as well as you know having additional distribution points, but making it accessible to people without them having to feel like they're having to go 100 different places to find the extraction information, for example, yeah. that is relevant to them.
2: That's a good, and I love that you're, you're getting into the international market. I mean, just sort of seeing what's happening with the kind of the global cannabis market, global cannabis industry, it's it's fascinating. I mean, obviously, you know, it's it's complicated somewhat in the US here just because of our federal laws, but talked about talking to other organizations, like where else do you get insights to kind of make these decisions or see like, well, where, you know, where is the next sort of, you know, either niche of this market or content area or geographic focus? Like, tell me a little bit about how you collect data, collect information and insight, and then make some of the decisions on how to, how to launch these different, you know, conferences or content programs.
3: Yeah. So honestly, I, in a lot of ways, I feel like we have our own internal research department, which is our editorial team. These are people whose full-time job is to be out there with their boots on the ground, talking to the entrepreneurs who are closest to each of these niches, who are leading the way in creating best practices and recreating those best practices as things change and bringing those insights back into, you know, our collective knowledge pool. And yes, we share all that with the industry, but it's absolutely been a huge business benefit for us that, you know, we have, we have that direct line of access to those people who are are really the ones who are out there moving those needles, moving those uh, those wagons forward.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think that being good at interacting with your sort of with your customers, with the industry, collecting that data, and then kind of doing doing that strategic analysis is, um, you know, is key. It's kind of that situational awareness and, and making making moves based on that insight. Um, Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about. So you mentioned, uh, you know, Chris was one of your first hires many years ago. I'm assuming you've got more than that now. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the organization structure and and what has that been like for you as, you know, as one of the co-founders, as CEO, what have you had to kind of change, evolve, adapt to this kind of growing company? Where are you at now in terms of size? How many people? It's
3: all of it. Yeah. So we are, we've crossed 60 people toward the end of last year. We're now, we're now, you know definitely in that mid-range territory yeah. of the of the hundreds. And you know, once you cross 50 people in an organization in the United States, that yeah. changes all kinds of things yep. about, you know, the law and administration of a company and so we've been going through those changes really over the last several months. Yeah. And yeah, it's been a it's been a journey for sure. We have a lot of very dedicated people who love what they do and they love who they do it with and we have needed to continue to supplement that passion with people who have more experience at running these mid-sized companies and bringing in more administration and just keeping things on an even keel as it gets bigger while trying to keep that entrepreneurial spirit and independence going. And it's a, you know, it's a day by day change right everybody gets that we need more structure of course yeah. as we grow that we have to layer it's not going to be as flat of an organization as you get to that size no question that I've simply had to let a bunch of stuff go um, <laughs> and you know yeah. turn it over to you know my very competent team yeah who I know have my back and, you know, is everything being done exactly the way I would do it? No. But at the same time, I'm not having to do it all. And there's no way I possibly could. And that's been an important learning lesson for me, just to maintain my sanity and to, uh, and to keep, you know, just keep a pulse on my own work-life balance and understand that I, I can't do it all.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thank you for sharing that. So uh, we're just about at time here. Um, I guess my last sort of question, general question is, you know, given that you kind of see so many of the opportunities or you see the industry and, and where things are going for folks that are kind of on the sidelines, you know, in other industries thinking about getting into the cannabis space, any particular area or strategy that you would advise or suggest that they think about? What's the best kind of a words of advice that you have for those folks that are interested in, in getting involved?
3: That's that's a good question. You know, I there are certainly some key areas of the industry that are growing quickly the science side of it. The science knowledge is is uh, advancing rapidly. And I think there's going to be a lot that can be done on the business side and with business ideas to make that science more accessible both to companies and to consumers, whether it's for medical or for uh, more of an adult use or recreational use perspective. So that science thing is going to definitely be growing quickly. We've already talked about how the international scene is exploding so rapidly. So, you know, if anybody with international business experience, you know, is, is sorely needed right now in the industry. Um, the hemp side of things, especially with the farm bill, finally getting a pre- the, the rider to the farm bill, which fully legalized as hemp, that is a game changer for the hemp industry. And I do see hemp and the traditional marijuana side of things coming closer together and they're going to have to figure out how to play nicely in mm-hmm. this sandbox together. And I think that's going to be a very interesting story to watch. And there's going to be some um, interesting career opportunities and business opportunities, yeah. you know, associated with that side of the industry. You know, somebody asked me at BizCon, you know, is it too late to be getting into this? Like, look at the size of the show. It's huge. I'm like, well, is it too late to be getting into pet food? Is it yeah. too late to be getting into, you know, plastics? Yeah. No, you just have to have a really good business plan. Yeah. And be really dedicated to it, and it's never too late.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I, I think there's there's still so much change going on in this industry that a lot of room for innovation, a lot of room for you know people doing new things and, and taking new approaches to stuff. So, Cassandra, this has been a pleasure. If, if people want to find out more about you, about MJ Biz Daily, about the conference, what's the best way to get more information?
3: You bet. Um, so we're easily findable at mjbizdaily.com. dot com. And information on the conference is at mjbizcon.com um, and all the conferences can be yeah. found there. And we'd love to have you join the community.
2: Yeah, great. I'll make sure that those links are in the show notes so people can click through. Uh, again, thank you for this. I'm looking forward to uh, the next conference. Uh, we'll make sure we get a chance to see each other in person while I'm there. And uh, I, I look forward to staying in touch and, and hearing how things go.
3: Love it. Thank you so much, Bruce. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com and don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter.